Online poker is back in the USA. AmericasCardsRoom.com, your premier site for real money cash game and tournament poker, is raising the stakes on December 14th with the Winning Millions Poker Tournament. This $1 million guaranteed is the biggest online poker tournament to hit the U.S. in nearly four years. Right now, you can buy in directly for just $540 or win a free seat through our daily free roll. AmericasCardsRoom.com will help you get started with a huge 100% first deposit bonus up to $1,000 when you enter the bonus code CASH. This is the tournament you've been waiting for. Download and deposit today. AmericasCardsRoom.com Okay, welcome to episode 24 of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. Um, happy Thanksgiving to Alex. It's the 27th of November here. Um, and happy Thanksgiving to any of our listeners that also celebrate that sort of stuff. And um, happy Thursday to just everyone else. <laughs> Alex, you're here today. Um, we have some news, actually, to discuss for the listeners. Uh, before we get into the questions and stuff for yourself, so uh, we should probably just say, you know, how's your Thanksgiving first, and yeah, yeah. what, you, and then we can talk about the news. Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving's really good. I got my mom down here, so that was kind of why I feel bad. Before we went on air, I was like, Barry, let's get on air, but that's kind of because I'm trying to take my mom to see downtown and uh, stuff today, and unfortunately, due to some. Uh, arguing with FedEx. I showed up here a little late, but yeah, everything's, uh, that's not going to stop me from talking about way too much about everything, but, uh, yeah, you know, thanks man for the happy Thanksgiving and uh happy Thanksgiving to everybody else. And, uh, hope you, hope you got the day off. And, uh, uh, if your employer did not give you the day off, please tell everybody so we cannot shop there. Uh, cause that drives me nuts. But, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> even though I'm working today, it's uh, we're doing our Thanksgiving tomorrow here because that's the day we could get everybody together, and uh, you know make make all the food and everything. Uh, but yeah, and uh, the announcement, uh, we're partnering up with uh, America's Card Room, and I'm I'm pretty excited about that because uh, uh, America's Card Room is just like uh, it reminds me of uh, a lot of how poker was like in 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, when I started playing and when I really enjoyed it. And that's kind of why I've known a lot of the employees of uh, America's Card Room truly since I like came to Costa Rica. My first like couple months in Costa Rica, I met a few of them just through uh, friends. And uh, my wife was actually friends with uh, one of the one of the guys who works there. And, uh, you know, we got to know each other and they're like really good people and they really like enjoy poker. And the only reason I didn't work with them over the years is, uh, you know, other things were going on and it, it looked like other stuff might be going on. And, uh, you know, just as I started doing more with like coaching and stuff like that, you know, me, me and these guys started working with each other. And then I started playing on this site more and it reminds me of online poker when I started, which was obviously I have affinity for because that's when a lot of us made most of our money. But also because, uh, when you play on the sites, uh, I mean, people are still gambling and having a good time. It's not like uh, when you play on uh, some other sites, it's just, uh, 
you all know the site I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to call them out by name. But, uh, you know, it's just a lot of guys who like, and even more now than ever, you're really dependent on what the site gives back to you because the rake is pretty tough. All the regs play there and everybody's really just playing for FPPs. And it really gets really boring because it's just trading coolers with each other. Whereas this site, like just because they've worked really hard to do secure payouts and everything, like I ran a bunch of tests before I, you know, I went on with them uh, in like in the States, like my friends, like, you know, like out of 20 of them, like within a cash out, like the cat, most of the cash outs were coming in like two days and stuff like that, which was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, and it always got your money to you. So people feel secure with their payouts. People feel secure with their deposits and they gamble more. They have more fun. It is more fun. And they do a lot of stuff for the players. They're one of the few sites that still offers rake back. Uh, we're going to have a link for you guys if you want to get 27% rake back. And uh, this software they work really hard on, uh, it obviously, uh, you know, they don't have quite the manpower of some of the other sites. They'll be the first. The thing I like about them is they're the first to admit that. They'll be, I've consulted for a lot of gaming companies in the past. And it's like, honestly, it's a lot of, uh, uh, I, I don't know. The word is tonterias in a, Spanish, which it's a nice way of saying BS. It's a lot of like, oh, our software is the best. And it's like, well, clearly you're not the best. Otherwise, you'd be doing way better, right? But they they say quite bluntly, you know, like our software is really fun to play on, but we need to do this. We need to do that. And when I play on the site, it's like it's really functional. And uh, normally when you're playing with players like who are gambling a bit and there's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more fun. There's a lot more chips getting in. There's a lot more like limp calling and stuff like that. Uh, generally, the software is pretty bad, <laughs> like your misclick folding sets and stuff like that. And uh, that doesn't really happen on America's Card Room. It's like really competent software, uh, really good reward system. They have this thing called the Beast where they just hand out like free tournament entries to anybody who's playing a lot. Like to hundreds of players, they hand out stuff in addition uh, to their rake back. And, uh, yeah, it's where, uh, you know, like Dusty Schmidt endorses it and, uh, leather ass. And, uh, it, it's really, I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoy how fun the site is and talking to the people. Their big thing is really just making poker fun. You know what I mean? All the other sites are like, how are we going to make more money? How are we going to make more money? How are we going to clean out the player? That's usually when I'm, consulting for them like i'm arguing with well no you don't want to do that because you're going to offend your entire player base no you're not going to do that you're going to offend your entire player base these guys are really like when they get done playing po uh when they get done working they go home and play poker and uh have a couple beers they really are into poker so they're really trying to make it a good experience and yeah i'm really happy to be working with them and they've uh they've uh, offered to sponsor this podcast which is great because i've always wanted to do this more regularly uh you and i were handling the bills barry here and that was fine you know because it did a lot of promotion for both of us and uh but now you know uh we get to uh we get to do what we love and uh they're really behind that they really uh they're really about the player they really want this to be like a free forum where people can ask any question you know, they never have to feel like silly about how basic it is or how advanced it is, as some of the questions we have today are pretty like <laughs> grandiose. And yeah, you know, they're uh, 
they're they're also having me write for their blog so i'm going to be doing a lot of things that are going to be like helping people you know like play a little more but yeah it's going to be it's going to be a good time yeah and i I would say just to add to that you know so i echo what you're saying the fact that they are one considered you know a smaller site they're they're not one of the the site that you know we're on about stars i'll say it um and uh you know sites like that is the fact that we can because they've offered to sponsor the podcast we we can communicate with them more directly so if there is any sort of issues that anybody raises or anything about the site then it's it's more of a streamlined channel that we could pass on information or suggestions or uh, feedback and stuff you know for the site as well and likewise um just with a smaller site it's a lot it's a lot more manageable, I think, like you say, and approachable to deal with, and personable, I think, is the sort of the main uh, buzzwords. That's a really um, good point, man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, I was just saying. So it's like like previous sites that I've uh, worked with with uh, OneOuter.com, you know, the podcast, and um, it's been they've been on smaller networks and stuff like that. But what we found is every time we ran like a tournament for listeners and stuff, there was a lot more um, appreciative sort of player about it. It was more of a community. I think you lost a bit in, you know, bigger sites with thousands of fields. Um, in these smaller sites, you start to see, you know, the regs, even in the regular tournaments, you start to see more of the same players and stuff. And it becomes a bit more like, I know we're all playing with HUDs and stuff now, but there is that sort of feeling, like you say, like it was sort of back in the, mid 2000s you know without yeah. seeing it seem that long ago but there was more familiarity about the game it, it felt more like poker it felt more like playing live poker you were only just playing it online if you know what i mean it wasn't yeah just, that's a great way to put it so online poker seems a completely different entity to live poker now it just seems uh completely but on some of these sites you can get a little bit more of that feeling so um yeah, happy to represent them, and hopefully it's the start of you know a long relationship with them uh, between ourselves, the podcast, and as you say, they're helping keep the podcast going. A lot of people have emailed me and tweeted me, uh, we'd love you guys to do more shows and more regularly, and myself and Alex would love to do them, um, but it is, you know, both of our times are money, and we love, as much as we love doing them, the podcast is free, and... Um, any sort of money back to help cover the costs and time comes from Alex promoting things and other deals I've you know had elsewhere. So this really gives us a chance to sort of free it up and they're covering the costs and giving us you know a little bit to sort of put out regular content. So the co- the podcast is now going to be once a week. Uh, we're going to record it on a Thursday and it will be online sort of sometimes the Thursday night, likely the next day. Uh, by the time it all updates onto iTunes and stuff. So uh, that way you guys will have a fresh podcast every, you know, sort of by Friday night UK time for the weekend, and that will come out every week. Uh, So we hope you keep the questions coming in and sort of help keep the show going that way because um, it is Ask Alex, and without anything to ask him, um, (laughs) I have to keep asking him random stuff. So uh, on that note, we're delighted to be working with America's Card Room and... In this podcast blog post, there will be details about how you guys can sign up with the codes, etc., what you need, and the links uh, to get that 27% rate back. 
Which which makes a huge difference, Alex, if you're not playing with the 8-back already. It's huge, especially when you consider what some of the other sites charge. You know, they offer, like, rake-back through FPPs and stuff like that, but when you consider how they've kicked it up, it's like taking it back to, like, no rake-back in a lot of other places. So, yeah, like, and a lot of sites have just stopped offering rake-back, especially once their software is pretty competent. They're like, oh, if it's fun to play here and the player base is having more fun and gambling, we're not going to give you a dime, you know. So it, it's really cool they still give rake back and all the bonuses and everything. Yeah, it, it adds up to a lot of money, too. Like uh, when I used to grind cash on this one, like, pretty good network, uh, my 27% rake back check at the end of the month would add up to, like, $3,000, $4,000. Now, obviously, I was playing, you know, all day when that happened. But, yeah, it does add up to a lot. So we're delighted to be working with them and there will be no doubt lots more on that over the coming shows and uh, hopefully we can you know, find out some like exciting uh, developments and some tournaments coming up and stuff on the site and we'll look to build this over the coming weeks and months. Um, on that note, let's get right into the questions, Alex. Um, and the first one is from Jacob Durst on Twitter. Um, I live in China at the moment. I can't believe I've watched 15th of your scoop. How did living in South Korea affect your game? Uh, it uh, it was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's pretty tough. And uh, by the way, guys, we're already talking with America's Card Room about free roll tournaments. Uh, giving it, They've been pretty generous about what they're offering so far. We're just like setting the dates and everything. And yeah, so stay tuned. That should be pretty fun. Uh, with free tournament entries and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, South Korea, the the thing with South Korea is, like, okay, if you're uh, playing this Sunday Million, it starts at 6 in the morning. So if you're normally an early riser, it's not actually a bad place to live because if you wake up at 5 a.m., you do catch a lot of the schedule. And the cool thing is you're done by, like, 3 p.m., and then you can go out and, you know, do a few things. And as long as you get to bed early – you you do you do kind of get to enjoy the daytime and like South Korea had a lot of like public parks that were really cool and mountains you could walk around and it was nice that I could wake up and play my session and go on. The problem is if you're a drinker, uh, which uh, is pretty easy to do in South Korea because uh, I don't know it's just every other building is a bar. If you really enjoy drinking, it's really hard because you uh, in South Korea. It's really funny because, like, people, when they were uh, together, like, as a group, they would uh, – it was okay to just down a bottle of vodka with between three of you, you know, just an entire thing. But if you have a beer before the sun goes down, you're a raging alcoholic. So just because of the cultural thing, uh, if you – you know, if you want to, like, spend time with your friends and have a couple of beers, you had to wait till the sun went down – and then, you know, then you're going to bed at like 10, 12, and then you wake up at 6, and maybe you don't even get hangovers, but you feel like a little uh, – and by the way, I never buy that when people do the whole I don't get hangovers because they always kind of look a little bleh the next day. It's like, is this not a hangover? But, yeah, anyhow, and, yeah, you just – it kind of ends up uh, – it, it can be like a snake eating uh, the, the end of itself – where you're just, you know, you're trying to stay up and have a, have a time, but then you have to wake up, and uh, you, have, you have to wake up and, like, start working again. 
Uh, my best advice is you just kind of have to get on a different schedule. You either have to get really good at uh, sleeping six hours a night, uh, which if you are the type that like can't go to bed until it's dark. Uh, so like uh, if you do that, I recommend taking like a couple naps during the day. Like if you take like two 20 minute, if you take like a 20 minute nap after your session, uh, you can't go longer than 20 minutes because then uh, you're just pretty much messed up for the rest of the day. But yeah, you either have to get used to sleeping six hours a day or you're going to have to like be one of those people that goes to bed at like 8 p.m. and you have to get really good at that. And it takes discipline because of the rest of the world around you uh, is not going to be doing that. But uh, there are advantages also to, uh, you know, the Pacific Rim, uh, not the Pacific Rim, uh, the Asian Pacific is really into poker now and they're kind of new to it. So if you play like a daytime schedule there, you're playing a lot of tournaments with small fields, less variants, and a lot of people who uh a lot of people who are newer to poker. So I one of the kids I know who has the most profit of anybody, he has like a schedule where he wakes up at like two AM in Canada so he can catch the Asian Pacific schedule to play tournaments and to play cash. And uh he you know I, 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 he made like $300,000 last year or something like that. And, uh, I mean, he doesn't play higher than like 109s. And uh, there's definitely a lot of money to be made there if you're very disciplined. It's, you know, it's more of a day-in, day-out grind, not as many big wins. But it definitely really helps you if you uh, are a pretty competent regular and you're playing that Asian Pacific schedule. And that really wasn't available to me when I started. So it's uh, – that's one cool development. There's also Asian sites. Uh, the pro- you should never really keep that much money in them because uh, there, a lot of them are more fly-by-night, which, uh, I mean, again, like if you, usually if you go for a soft player base, you're going to deal with a lot of crap, uh, it, which is why you want to be looking for something more secure. But it's, uh, it, you can look for those, and you'll hear about them. And there are private games in Asia – you, you know, you have to really know the people, but like, there's something like, there's a lot of English teachers that go to, uh, that just go to Asia to party and they have, uh, they have poker games where they kind of just throw money around because they're like, they have this weird, like, I'm going to go to Asia and be like the big man on campus fantasy and like, uh, playing poker in front of their women is the way they fulfill that. And they dump off a lot of cash. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to make money there, but you you're gonna have to you're gonna have to really regulate your sleep schedule. Melatonin for the win. <laughs> so what about any cultural aspects of it? Did it affect your game, the way you think about the game or that? Anything you sort of learned there or or experienced? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, like in South Korea, there was more of like a work working man's approach to everything. It was uh, it was really expected culturally that, you know, you show up at this time, you get done working. Uh, my girlfriend at the time would do, like, you, like she would wake up at, like, 3 a.m. Uh, just to, like, make me breakfast because it was so respected that I was going to work, you know, which was pretty weird. Uh, so that was kind of cool just as far as, like, the discipline type thing. The other thing, though, is, like, if you're a gambler there, they're associating it with uh, guys who lose their houses in the local Pi Gal game. And, uh, so you end up like not, you not, you don't really get to tell people what you do for a living. If you do tell people, it's kind of, 
uh, it, it's kind of weird. Uh, I did talk to a lot of uh, StarCraft players who are really good about reducing the time between button presses and stuff like that and allowing you to play more tables. Uh, I would hang out a lot in the internet cafes because they would have, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. It was really cool, though. They would have, you know, just huge monitors, really fast computers, and it would only be like a couple bucks. I mean, I think it was like $2 an hour to rent one of these places. And, like, you could hit a button and uh, somebody would come bring you, like, a drink or something like that. Or you could order food to your little makeshift office. And uh, if you're the type who likes to play with a crowd, all four of you, uh, but they're, like, if they see you playing, like, a ton of tables, like, the kids will circle around and they'll be like, ooh, ah, which was kind of cool. You know, it it was kind of... It's kind of equated with being a celebrity, like being, a, you know, like an online gamer. And a lot of them do want to learn how to play poker. So it, it is kind of cool culturally, like the younger generation will uh, be pretty nice to you and they'll invite you to a lot of places. And, and they're really polite about picking your brain is the other thing I noticed. And they really understand it's like a trade-off. It's, I have a lot of people just running up to me who are like, hey, man, you should coach me about everything, and I don't pay you anything, you know? And it's, uh, uh, okay, they, they, I don't think that's how this relationship works. But they'll, you know, they're really, uh, they're pretty professional. They invite you to see a lot of the, like, cooler things in the country, and then, you know, you teach them some things, and it's fun like that. And the, I, I did learn a lot just about, you know, like, hard work through them because a lot of people there are really disciplined as far as, you know, this is the time I start, this is the time I finish, and a lot of people respect that. Yeah, yeah. So there's, like, a real work ethic there. Yeah, the wor- I mean, they turn their country around from, like, total ruin to uh, one of the strongest economies in the world in, like, 40 years. <laughs> and they certainly, uh, I mean, there's certainly a reason for that. Like, if you see, I, I mean, like, I, I, I have a real thing for, like, shipyards because my father's a fi- fisherman, and, like, I would go to them in Europe, and you'd see them, you know, what's that? That's a ship they're building. How long have they been working on it? Two years. Then you'd go to South Korea, and, like, uh, you, would, uh, you would see a ship three times the size of the one you saw in Europe. And uh, you'd go, wow, uh, what, how long have they been working on that? Uh, about two months, you know. So it was, yeah, they really have that, uh, they really have that work ethic, show up, get it done. Not as much BS. It, it, it's kind of, uh, it, the, it, it, in a weird way, it teaches you how to hold in your emotions being there because if you just end up emoting about anything and everything, that's seen as pretty weird. They're like, and there's a lot of, I, I don't know, like in America, it's really like you're your own hero. You know, it's, it's your world. We're all just living in it. And people like to go on ad nauseum about their difficulties and anything. And in South Korea, it was kind of just shut up. Nobody cares. And that was, you know, that was pretty good for like a 19-year-old American kid who was making uh, a lot of money at poker who thought he was the center of the universe just to have. Honestly, that's why I really like Costa Rica, because there's not as much of the emotional coldness uh, that there can be in Asia, but at the same time, nobody really cares if you're a poker player. It's just like, okay, that's what you do. 
do you pay your bills? Yeah, okay, good for you, moving on. Nobody, nobody really cares. Whereas I think in some cultures they unfairly praise you or put you down. And uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't really do much for your poker development. It should really be a game versus yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the question, uh, Jacob, and I, ho- I hope China is nice. It's part of the world that I've been to a few times and love, so uh, send me an email whereabouts you are. I might might see if you're near somewhere I fancy going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't worry, I won't like crash on your floor or anything like that. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the next question is from Michael Dillon on Twitter, and... Uh, can you talk about stack to pot ratios and how flop play changes as uh, stack to pot ratio gets higher? Yeah, I read this when the question came in. I was like, wow, that's a pretty tough question. Because this is, I mean, the joke we always make on this show is like, when is the question essentially saying, how do you play poker? And uh, this is one of them. It's the stack. Obviously, there's a million different possibilities with stack sizes. And uh, the one that's really interesting to me is if uh, you have like 20 big blinds and let's say you have like a mediocre draw, uh, the one thing that's really interesting to me is a lot of people will lead out there, get jammed on and call. And the jam, the range that people will jam on you now is definitely expanded. Uh, I think myself and some other coaches are to blame for that, just showing how much people miss the board and how much more often you need to be jamming on that. And there's a few statistics that really help you there. Uh, bet in position versus miss C-bet is extremely valuable here. There's some guys you, who will bet 60, 70, 80% of the time when you check to them. And if you think about it, you're only really hitting the board 30, 35% of the time. So by logic, if only 30, 35 times out of the 70 they're betting or 80 they're betting, they could have something that means the majority of the time they're going to have nothing. And also, if you consider a lot of people, when they check back, they do not have a checking uh, in position, especially. They do not have a checking range that involves air. Like, they don't have a jack nine of hearts in a king's, king of diamonds, six of diamonds, three of spades board. Like, that's just a board that's always going to get C-bet. Uh, because, I mean, for the same reason they're jamming over your C-bet a lot of the time, they know you miss it most of the time. So if they're checking back like sixes there, pocket sevens, eights, stuff like that, that means their betting range logically has to contain less value hands, which means even more often you're going to be getting a fold out of them if you check jams. So if you have some of those mediocre draws, and sometimes I, m- I make it as mediocre as like I have ace two on a four or five king board, uh, just the gut shot and the overcard will be enough if I see this guy flats with a very wide range and then bets into it. But you always, uh, the best way to play stack sizes is uh, to imagine the hand a few times ahead. There's a lot of times at live poker, I'll time bank what looks like a really obvious spot. Uh, even just something as, even though I hate these type of people who time bank four minutes before every C bet. There's sometimes like the stack is awkward and it's like, you know, I really don't have much of anything, but it's like, am I, if I'm planning to see bet here, I don't expect him to fold to the C bet that much. So how often will he fold to the turn? And then uh, what turn cards will he fold? And will that leave me enough to shove the river? If like, uh, uh, one example is if there's a flush draw board, 
and you see Ben the guy calls, there's a lot of guys who will just never have the flush draw there. They would raise, uh, they would raise most of their flush draws, especially if it's an overly aggressive opponent. So I'm thinking down the line, like, will I have enough money to shove the river? Should the diamond come or should the heart come or whatever? And, uh, just by thinking through that, you'll, you'll avoid like a lot of mistakes. Uh, the other thing, the other thing with a uh, stack size dy- dynamics is a lot of people uh, overbets. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is overbets. Uh, if you want to, something I really like about this show, by the way, for some of you guys who listen, uh, just when we have like the hour to talk, I can't really get as deep into every concept as I would love to. But this is where the joy of writing comes in. Uh, I can just reference you to an article and you can read a treatise on the subject. So Google, it's called No Limit for a Reason uh, on Bluff Magazine. And really, like, if you jam uh, 1.5x the pot, your bet needs to work 60% of the time. And most of us are not calling with 40% of our hands if someone bets 1.5x the pot so there's a lot of times people go, oh, I don't have like a pot size bet back, right? And uh, they, they, uh, I don't have a pot size bet back here, so I can't like really put it in. And they end up making like a really small check raise, which if the guy, if the guy considers he can't flat is fine, but there's more and more people who, I don't know when it became kosher, but it's uh, a lot more people just flat when they don't know what to do now, which is actually a pretty good strategy if you're bluffing, but you got to remember you can't jam more than the size of the pot. That's not, uh, that, that's not really, uh, that's not bad mathematically. A lot of times that's pretty good. Uh, recognize on full tilt in starts. If someone overbet jams over a bet, uh, like on a seven of diamonds, eight of diamonds, 10 of clubs board and they're uh, reg nine times out of 10, that's the nuts. It's not a draw. A lot of people try to conceal their draws by check raising really small because they think that'll look more like a set and uh, they'll just check jam with their set of eights there or something like that. And, uh, and obviously this is the reverse with more novice players. Uh, if you have nothing, there's a, there's certainly uh there, there's an article I posted yesterday on Twitter that, uh, is kind of like a preview for, I just wrote like an 80 page chapter for this book, which uh, I'm not really allowed to announce yet. Although I've never really understood that because shouldn't you be trying to get press for everything? But it was kind of in tone to me. I should be pretty hush hush about it. But uh, there, it, it, it talks a lot about how, you know, you have to think about uh, the article was, uh, if you check my Twitter, it was, uh, uh, it, I think it was headsupsidngos.com or something like that. Uh, it, I, I can't remember the actual name of the site, but it does talk about how you want to think about your stack in regards to how likely it is it's going to grow. And there's a lot of times in uh, poker tournaments, uh, something that I stumbled upon about three years ago, four years ago, which I think led to quite a bit of success, was uh, I guess Daniel Negrano calls it the small ball approach. But really, ICM-wise, it makes a lot of sense. Is that really small bets are it, really small bets are a really good idea because your potential for growth going from 12x to 10x, uh, the 10x stack obviously has quite a bit more potential for growth than going from 12x to 0x. 
So there's a lot of times people feel like, oh, you know, this is going to leave me with a pot size bet back. This is going to uh, this is too much of my chips. I think you can raise fold from nine to seven X. I have three bet folded from 13 X and stuff like that, because oftentimes you're risking four X to win 10 X. Your bet obviously needs to work 40 percent of the time. And the guy's folding 60, 70 percent of the time. Obviously, ICM wise going from 13 X to nine X is far more damaging than going from feet. Uh, 13x to 17x is beneficial, but it's not so damaging that it can make up for a 30% profitability margin. So you do want to think of those things uh, in the small ball approach. I, I hate that terminology. I, I consider it just uh, – I don't even know what you would talk about. it. It's just when you uh, – within the sm smaller bets, you're closer to chip EV. The chips you're losing are worth – just a little more than what you stand to gain. So there's a bit more of a margin for error. Whereas if you shove and you're wrong, like going from 20x to 0x is far more dam damaging than going from 20x to 40x is beneficial. So there's a lot of times people uh, completely disregard as far as, uh, you know, they just come over the top several times what the pot is, or they're like, I don't want to leave myself in a spot where I'm just going to have a pot size bet back and I have to check fold because if the guy jams, it's going to be giving me two to one. If you're not really sure of the call when you're getting two to one, you should fold because the chips you're calling off are worth far less what you're going to gain. So it, a lot of people just get into this whole, like when the pot, when the pot gets, uh, deep compared to your stack being shallow, they get into this, uh, uh, the, the, the price they're going to be getting is too good. I have to call off here. Uh, I, I don't really think that's as true in tournaments as it is in cash games. And I think this is the reason why, uh, if I could be so bold to say so, Phil Ivey doesn't have a hold and bracelet. I think he's trained to go for the kill because in a cash game, a dollar is a dollar. Whereas Phil Helmuth is kind of funny because he'll sit there for four minutes with 13 big blinds with queens, but he's thinking about the whole tournament. Where is this tournament going to go? What is this 13x worth in the context of this table? And I think that's what's led Phil Helmuth, quite arguably a worse cash game player and worse poker player overall, to be the far superior tournament player with 13 bracelets, I think it is. And yeah, I think that, that that's about as deep as we can get into it here. Well, you know, keep checking the Facebook and the Twitter, and I'll be posting more to answer that question. Excellent question. Yeah, just one thing on that. I think there was an article you wrote that really, I can't remember the name of it, that sort of dealt with that 20 oh, yeah. big stack. Yeah, uh, damn it. Uh, raise, if, you, I, I, if you Google, like, raising from short stacks bluff, I think you'll come up with that. Uh, it, it, it's a little dated now. I, re I wrote that one, like, four years ago. It's a really good primer. Uh, but I, I think you need to go a little further than that. Uh, but the big, the big thing is, uh, uh, if you contact us for, I mean, if you do private lessons, I give you access to all my research, which is like hundreds of pages. I can give you that. And if you just want to wait it out, I'm sure this book is going to be like $10 and it's going to be out uh, soon. And there's a, Oh, 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 oh okay. There's a good, ah, what, what is it called? I, I can't. There's one article called uh, Slow Down on Bluff. It really gets into that. And then uh, 
there, the other article, you'll probably just have to Google, like, uh, raising from short stacks. And to get a little bit into the math. Play with your stacks. Or play playing with, with your stacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good. That's a bit dated, though, because back then there was some things you could. Uh, I kind of turned that on its head with why Pisagno is right, which is uh, uh, why. Pis- it, yeah, playing with your stacks. You, uh, you Google that. Well done. But no, I didn't figure it. I just I remembered, you remembered it. it. Holy crap! Yeah, they changed it to a really silly name, or something like that. But they always change my names at Bluff.com, which I like. My newest article, I called it Grit. They turned it into Working Harder. I was like, I think mine was catchier and more memorable. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Why Pisegno is right really primes us. That's not primes this ninety nine dollars. The book's gonna be out in a few months. That's gonna be like ten, twenty dollars. If you want it uh, there, and if you want like uh, what's out there for free, there's uh, yeah, playing with your stacks will give you kind of the more old school approach. The simple adjustment will show you the type WPT, uh, Google WPT mag, the simple adjustment will give you kind of the math that's going on there. And uh, yeah, and then, uh, oh yeah, check out my training videos at Card Runners. It's $30 for two. Actually, that's probably one of the cheapest options. It's $30 for two months. I feel like a walking advertisement right now, but like really I'm trying to think of the resources, but it's like, uh, it's like, it's like $30 for two months. And there's a lot on like raising and stealing blinds. I'm going to try to get a lot of my stuff up there and, uh, yeah, it should be, yeah, it should be a good time. This is, again, this is the question. How do you play poker? So there's quite a bit of, uh, content on it. Well, lots of places and lots of info. I think you answered that one well, actually. Um, I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Thanks, Alex. man. No, it's good. It's good, man. <laughs> uh, so next one uh, really gets into it. Um, so if you if you're listening to this, you, this is another technical one. So if you want to pause and then have someone and come back, then now's a good time to do it. Uh, <laughs> this guy Vinny Van Helsing Mohan, I believe his name is. Yeah. Uh, as sent in a hand. Now, there's lots of content here, and I think the best way, just for you, Alex, dealing with a hand, do you want me to sort of read through the hand history, then give you his notes and stuff, or do you want the notes first and then the hand history? Why don't, why don't you give me the hand history first, and I'll give you the explanations, then I'll hear the data, okay. and then I'll, uh, I'll show yeah. you how that affects it. So it's a $40 uh, Hold'em No Limit tournament. Um, the blinds are 500 and 1,000. Um, okay, so we're 900. Okay. And the hero, let me just find them. I'm scribbling notes because I assume this is going to be tough, by the way. <laughs> This is great podcasting, by the way, Barry. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> um, the reason is, is he's Van Helsing. Uh, he's got Van Helsing Mohan, you know, like as his middle name. Yeah, yeah. But he's not called that in the hand history. Uh, <laughs> so okay, so right, we got it. So he's pretty Vinny, right? Oh. That's his name. <laughs> he's got twenty-five thousand five hundred. And a, a bit chips. Okay. So uh, he's got like twenty-five big blinds. Mm-hmm. That makes it easy. Yep. Um. All right. So Ante's one twenty-five. 
Hosanna. Okay, so he is dealt nine of hearts, six of hearts. Okay. Then um, Lucas Amy in seat eight raises a thousand to two thousand. What 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 is seat eight's position? Seat eight. Um, where are we? What 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 uh, position is it? what uh, seat is the button? Yeah, good 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 question. <laughs> yeah, I know this is a. Uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't say here. It doesn't have the button. I could obviously go through the the whole hand history and grab the. Um, let me let me give you uh, chips first. I've got that information. All right. So the right, the hero's got twenty five big blinds. Yeah. Very uh, very twenty five big blinds. Lucas Amy has sixty three thousand. Okay, chips. so he's got it covered. Okay, so let's just say he opens in mid position because I, I'm pretty sure he would have specified. Uh, but we'll see if it comes up later in the hand. Okay, what happens next? Yeah, and uh, he raises to the hero. Uh, sorry, Lucas Amy raises thousand to a thousand, uh, two thousand. So he's min raised. Okay. The pretty Venny re raises uh, twenty nine fifty five to forty nine fifty five, okay. and then it goes fold, 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 fold. Okay. Uh, Lucas Amy re re raises. Okay. Three three nine eight nine to eight nine four four. Okay. Uh, pretty Venny calls. Okay. Nine eighty nine. The flop is six of clubs, four of clubs, eight of diamonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas Amy bets six thousand five hundred and ten. Pretty Vinny calls. Okay. Uh, and then the turn Ace of Hearts. Lucas Amy bets ten thousand. Pretty Vinny folds. Okay. Okay. Interesting hand. I I I remember seeing this hand. He's a uh, uh, the villain opened in mid position. Uh, we three bet from. Uh, I recall we three bet in position. I can't remember if it's the cutoff or button. Uh, first of all, uh, breaking it, uh, breaking it down to begin with. I love the three bet here as a semi bluff. When you're semi bluffing, and if you want to get, I have a free article on semi bluffing that a lot of people told me was uh, put out a little too much information. But uh, if you want the free article, write us at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com, and uh, we can send that along uh, for you. Uh, but the things you want to look for when you're semi-bluffing is you want a hand just below your flatting range. You want the person to not be four-betting that much. A four-bet of like 15% or higher is a little too high. You want the person not folding that much to three-bet, because if they're folding a lot to three-bets, you should pick a blocker, because you're... Uh, you're never going to see the flop, so you should really be blocking as much of his pre-flop opening range. And uh, you want them uh, not folding that much to three bets, not four betting that much, calling a lot of three bets, and then folding to the C bet. If these things line up, you can launch a uh, three bet semi-bluff. Uh, you also would like to know the players behind you are not so active. This, uh, could, f- this could be filed under that category. Uh, if all those things line up. I love the choice of hand because nine, eight of hearts is obviously in your flatting range, but nine, six of hearts is just below it, which makes it a really powerful semi bluff. Uh, there's quite a bit of equity. Uh, nine, six of hearts, I believe will hit two pair or better. I'd have to check, but I think it's like a uh, two pair, a flush draw or a straight draw or better. Uh, 23% of the time, which is a uh, pretty, pretty big deal there. Uh, especially when you consider, okay, uh, villain here makes a very small four bet. Now there's a couple schools of thought here. 
there's the school of thought where you've been caught, time to give up. And then there's the never scared B, five million plus in earnings club who uh, just goes, I do not fold here. Uh, now, there's actually a really good reason for not folding here is you need about uh, – I'm doing the numbers off the top of my head, but I think he needs uh, – the raise was just an additional uh, 4,000 more, I think, into like 16 or something like that. So he would only need like 20% equity, 22% equity, and uh, you're very likely going to have that. If he's just up against like two big cards, which I think he'll be up against a lot of the time here – uh, he's going to have about twice that. Uh, if he's over, if he's against an overpair, he actually has exactly that equity. Uh, but that requires that he realizes his equity a hundred percent of the time, but that's going to be more difficult. But a lot of the times he has more equity than that. Now, uh, the question here is usually what makes this a really good four bet. I mean, a really good call preflop is the guy is four betting too much. Now, but remembering our qualifications at the beginning of the hand, if he's four betting too much here, your three bet was bad because you were three betting specifically because you thought he would give you the lead in the pot. Okay. So you, uh, if he's four betting too much, you better just have a read that he just got pissed off with you or something like that. Or every time you've seen him four bet with a hand, it's been much bigger. And now you just know he's uh, pissing about here. So, it's a very rare situation you should be flatting here. The other time you should be flatting here is if like the guy just like clicks it back and wants to take the lead. Uh, that was something Martin Jacobson used to do a lot on stars. Uh, but you just have to flat because you, then you need 15% equity or something like that. But it doesn't come up too often. Okay, so we flat here. Uh, categorically, if we're flatting here, uh, if we three bet here, it's probably because we thought the guy was not four betting that much. So the flop comes without a heart, six of clubs, four of clubs, eight of diamonds. Uh, we do flop pretty decent equity. I'm okay with the call here, but the only turn card you can fold to is the ace. Really, if you think he's going to bluff off more on the turn, because when you call this board with the club draw being out there, and the coordinated nature of it, uh, subconsciously, a lot of people know that your range is pretty capped here. If you had a set, you probably would have raised. If you had an overpair, you probably would have fived that preflop or shoved this board. So if you call on this flop, you have to expect a turn bet most of the time from a thinking player. And we assume this guy is a thinking player. Otherwise, we wouldn't have flatted the four bet. We think he's trying to take the initiative back from you. Uh, so... We're going, to, uh, we're going to have to call most turn bets because most people are going to be barreling again on this board because they know you probably would have raised most anything. Uh, a lot of times, if you think the guy is four betting too much, you have enough equity almost as a semi-bluff. And there is a semi-bluff calculator online. I think it's at pokernerds.com where you could learn that if you input ranges and whatnot. Uh, but I think it's actually a little bit better of a play here if you think the guy's a perpetual double barrel, double barreler, or if you were just kind of getting into a pissing for distance contest with a hyper aggro guy, which I, I don't really recommend here, but okay, if you did, uh, you should really just call the turn because most aggro players are going to bet this turn again. 
Okay, so the only card you could fold, the only card that so damages your equity in the hand that you could fold is uh, the offsuit ace, which uh, the dot like the diamond ace would almost be better because perhaps he could be barreling like king of diamonds, jack of clubs, or something like that. I mean, excuse me, the ace of clubs, but the turn was the ace of hearts, correct? And he folded. The turn was the ace of hearts. Yeah, yeah. so he's got uh, that is the only hand that so damages his equity. He could find a fold there. So yeah, I think we uh, got. And that's my surface. Uh, uh, if I were watching that hand on the WSOP, that's what I would say. Now let's l- listen to his notes and see if any of them change th- change this. Okay, a few notes about the dynamic, etc., and hands leading up to this one. I had been showing good hands in uncontested pots to garner a tighter image for when I semi-bluff bluff. Good. I, I was running 24-16 and... Mm-hmm. Um, with 10.8 three bet over 133 hands. I'm sorry, what was the three bet? Uh, 10%. Okay. Well, 10.8, so 11%. Okay. Technically. Uh, I defended 8-7 off in the big blind versus villain from 18k at 3600. Mm-hmm. And him on a big step where I check raised him on... He's really getting into it here. <laughs> well done, Vinny. Uh, six of diamonds, two of diamonds, four x exploiting uh, to just under three x, and he folded. Uh, fold to three bet was seventy one percent over seventy eight trials, I believe, with no four bet and an honest fold to see bet. Mm. Um, more notes here. The below hand came out about two to three orbits later, and the money bubble had just burst. Um, early position open was 23% over 40. Again, he had uh, 0 out of 3, 4 bet, and a 43 bet of 70% or higher. Flop aggression was about 40%, and he maintained that on the turn. Shark scoped him as well, uh, and his rating was 80 over 2.6k games, with 26,000 profit at a $12 average buy-in. I'd been 3-bet in a bit and had just 3-bet folded a few hands before. I decided to 3-bet here as it is below flattened range of 9-8 of hearts in conjunction with his exploitable stats. Of course, getting the odds from his 4-bet clickback I called. Question to you is call slash fold slash jam best on the flop. What's best? Um, As played, do we just check full turn given that card smacks his Four bet range. Yeah. Uh, really, if you have time to look at this. Yeah. Thanks so much, Vinny, for the uh, the work that you put in first sending the question in hand. I'm sorry if I butchered it all a bit. It's just difficult <laughs> sometimes with the podcast to when you don't have a visual representation of the hand to try and get it across. You know what I mean? I don't want to. We don't want to give too much sort of info to to some listeners in terms of like uh, trying to picture it and. Obviously, some of our listeners are at different levels in ability and just trying to... I'm trying to think if it would be um, an easier way for guys to submit hands rather than that. I mean, it's fine. We we sort of got there. We got the gist of it yeah. uh, through my butchering. And So anything on th- that extra information that he, he's provided that you would sort of say, Alex? Uh, one, one idea I had is we could post uh, we could post the hands in the future on like a poker hand... Uh, uh, re- replaying site 
I think there's a really good one I'll give you after I can't remember the name, but we could do that in the future. But I think you did a really good job of explaining what needed to be done here. And yeah, sorry guys, that was a pretty in-depth hand. That's kind of typical of like a really in-depth like consulting session. But yeah, uh, Vinny, this was pretty excellently played. Like if there were conditions to flat there, it was probably that, uh, the, you had a really good reason for three betting him with the 71% fold to three bet. Your three bet probably needed to work like 50% of the time. And even if he's getting a little defensive and pissy, uh, he's probably still going to be folding 55, 60% of the time because his base is 71. Uh, he's opening, I think it was close to 25% of the hands. That's really difficult to defend uh, versus a three bet. Uh, there's just so many hands that are go going to be breaking. There's a lot of hands he could uh, get into trouble with. So the nine six of hearts is a uh, good, all the things I told you I wanted uh, for a three bet semi bluff here uh, you had, uh, it sounds like history you had been possibly pissing him off a lot, but it didn't sound like you had been, uh, it didn't sound like you had been overly active. So he should think it, like you had a good reason to run that bluff because there's no reason he should think you're bluffing. But once he four bets you, you have like, played back at him enough that perhaps you know this is when the rubber band has snapped. And you, uh, you know, you flatted the four bet, which I thought was fine. You have to flat that flop because uh, it, by any stretch, like any range we put in on that flop, uh, you would have to call. Uh, you needed, uh, I can't remember the, he C-bet on the flop, I think it was 6.5K was uh, the C-bet on the flop, but it was a very small bet on the flop and you would need very minimal equity to continue. And there's pr no way you didn't have that. And the turn destroyed your equity. If he bluffed you, good luck to him. Uh, I think it is actually pretty uh, possible. You did get bluffed here. I would not expect it, but uh, that's, it, that's one of those cards. It's kind of game over. It just so hurts your equity. And so helps his that you're never making that big of a mistake folding there. Uh, certainly not as big a mistake as if you're always calling there. Uh, obviously, if the guy's range wasn't a four-betting range, uh, perhaps you could call down there a lot more, but that wasn't the case here. So, yeah, I love the way you played this hand. I uh, hope we communicated all the technicalities here. Yeah, and the guy said um, he's also, I sort of missed this bit out because I didn't want to big your ego up too much, but he was a huge fan and uh, he's he's watched a lot of your videos and most of your attended most of your webinars and he's not had private coaching yet so um, maybe um, if that's something he wants to do he could uh, contact you and sort of uh, discuss that because that was as you say I mean that's a really in depth hand and we thank you for that last time we spoke about the hand coming in like all the information there and um, once it is sort of articulated between myself and Alex and then Alex can do his thing on it I do think it provides good information for people of all level and even if you're not at that level yet where you're thinking that in depth about individual hands and situations you maybe just forget about um, it, it at least gives you little pieces to sort of start thinking about and working and uh, obviously you don't need to know everything what Alex has just said there uh, you know in, in a night sort of thing um you can if you take one thing from that and sort of start looking at it and thinking about it then it's definitely going to sort of help your game out right right and uh i, I appreciate you being a wow there was 
There was a bit of feedback there for a second. Sorry if you guys could hear that. I appreciate you being a supporter, Van Helsing. I'm really glad we could uh, sort out a hand for you for free. That's kind of what I want, what Barry and I wanted to do with uh, this podcast is just give you guys a lot of help for free. And it's really cool. You know, you got, you come back and support us, man. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for writing in. Yeah, definitely. And keep the hands coming in. And um, we'll uh, definitely, I'll, I'll work on presenting them a little bit better. And as Alex says, we might look at doing something like uh, a replay or a way of post, even just posting the hand history within the blog post and like, if someone, if people keep sending in hands for uh, certain shows, then we can maybe even post the hand history in, or figure out some sort of re- real player that can easily be uh, pasted into the blog post that accompanies the podcast, and that way people can go to it and refer to it and uh, listen to it and see it. I think it helps seeing it visually. Right. Certainly, the way I used to, well, I'd put it in one of the replayers and then look at it. When I when someone would send me hand histories on Skype, like, pasted from stars, I would just go, ah, uh, no, I'm not Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a second reading through, like, you know, this post, anti this, that. I want to see the hand and then go, yeah. That's why these, like, people, when they do it on Twitter, it's like a nice visual hand. You can look and go, oh, yeah, you got screwed. It was a cool, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like... It's more fun that way. Yeah, I think we should, uh, we did a really good job of articulating it, which was really, you did, and uh, uh, it was that's really good because I know a lot of people listen to this when they're at work or on, they're on the bus or they're on their commute. But, yeah, it's, it, it, it'd be really cool if when you got home, you could like watch, a, you know, watch a visual representation of the hand and go, oh, OK, yeah, m- just making sure I got everything there. And then, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, if you're like while you're grinding, you know, you're listening to the hand, you could, you know, just pop it up and watch a hand history. I know a lot of people that I've never understood these people who can like play 20 tables, Skype with 30 people and watch 20 hand histories an hour. But there seems to be a lot of guys who can do that. So yeah, you could put in a few more to your rotation and hopefully we can put a little more uh, meat on the bone as far as strategic content. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, the last question is from at Swag Poker on Twitter. Um, with changes going on at Poker Stars, does Alex have confidence in long-term profitability of pro poker? Uh, it's uh, sorry, I just had something uh, come up, but uh, yeah, I have a, I I I have a confidence in uh, the long-term profitability of poker the rake increases do hurt but i've played with really insane rakes that uh if the game's soft enough you can make it in by the way it's a marketplace if you uh i was kind of uh annoyed with the poker star stuff so i'm endorsing a site that still gives rake back to the players because that's you know obviously i'm not that big of a name but I can put my weight behind it. And you guys can put your weight behind it by endorsing sites that do more for the players. That doesn't necessarily have to be America's card room. That could be any site you notice is paying attention to players, giving stuff back, uh, lowering their rake or keeping the rake low and is focusing more on what the players do. Poker stars is really good at giving you a ton of options, but it's, uh, you know, a lot, there is still a lot of money to be made, uh, on all the networks, if you get enough of the bad players, if there's a tournament that's bringing in bad players, uh, the rake could be pretty significant. 
but you could still you could still make money at it. There's a lot of people. The rake has to be pretty significant before you can't make money at it. The only like circuit I think that's really tough to make a living at is like live, because when you consider all the entry fees and uh, the hotel fees, your uh, your travel and uh, eat uh, your uh, meal, <laughs> your uh, how much you're spending on meals. <laughs> I'm sorry. The meta rake. Yeah, the meta rake. Yeah, it ends up everything becomes a 10k plus 3k, 5k plus 3k, and there there are still people who make a profit at that. There's still a lot of people that make a profit live, and that's the one I consider like super variance intensive and tough to deal with. But yeah, there's always uh, there's always money to be made. You gotta look up rake back deals. You gotta find sites. And by the way, poker is so difficult to learn. You know, it's really not there's uh uh my friend uh ape styles asked me a question the other day and i said to him the question is unanswerable like there's no and it was a very basic question i'm not going to share what it was but it's a question you would hear all the time and you know he posed it to me and i said i don't think this question is answerable because pretty much anything i decide you could find a counter strategy right and that's what a guy like uh, a, a guy like Ape Styles like I'm not gonna I mean obviously like eight million plus in earnings but like this guy's like top five in the world as far as like online tournament players and he puts in the work he wakes up early he studies and uh, you know he keeps his mind right and uh, it's a lot of anticipation like and when I saw you know when he did that did that stuff with me that's when it really became clear to me there is. You can play like game theory optimal. You can try to, but it's almost impossible to attain. There are games you can play where, you know, nobody's ever going to really get an edge on you, but nobody's really going to make money. Uh, you're never really going to make money off of it. So a lot of those players burn out and they don't become a problem in the games. Uh, and uh, a lot, there are times you should adapt those strategies, but not most of the time. But a guy who like actually like wakes up and studies hand histories and like is talking with a lot of different players and is trying to see what is uh, is trying to see what the current trend is working with card runners EV is watching training videos is uh, is uh, uh, using uh, Hold'em resources is using ICMizer is using Sit and Go Wizard is filtering for their positional stats uh, on. Uh, hold a manager or on poker tracker or something like that is looking at where they lose money is looking at what hands they lose money from what positions is looking at what most people are doing and how you can exploit it doing ev calcs and by the way you should really check out card runners ev i'll always tell you guys if i'm making a buck off of something i'm not making a buck off of this uh the stuff that used to take me like four hours to do by hand and i was never like positive with the math because math is not really my uh, forte, uh, you know, and then I'd have to do it again and do it again. And a lot of hand histories would take me like 10 hours to analyze. Uh, Hold'em, I mean, card runners, e, card runners EV, uh, you can do a lot of this stuff in like 10, 15 minutes. There is a bit of a learning curve. But if you can do that, you know, if you can learn how to work Flabzilla, you can learn how to work card runners EV, you can solve a lot of questions that a lot of people think are unanswerable. And uh, you, when guy is doing X, you do Y, you turn a profit. 
And then if the guy goes, I'm going to adjust, and you detect you're waking up early and you're detecting the adjustment, you can pose the new adjustment, and then it's another few months before he accounts for that. Uh, we're going to have, uh, in December, Ape Styles and I are doing a webinar because uh, over the last couple of years, I've been preaching a lot of the like small pot style, and that was a refutation uh, that was refuting at the time, which was a very like all-in intensive game. Uh, very like I'm looking for. Remember how like in vogue the word unexploitable was for a long time, Barry? Do you remember that? Yeah, and you, you don't hear it nearly as much anymore. So I started playing a lot of like small pots min raising from like nine X sacks because I knew people like uh, they were like, well, I have to jam or fold and I don't want to jam and look stupid. I got to do something, you know, I'm looking to play my most unexploitable game and I'm not going to, I'm not going to err on the side of caution and rejam over Alex Moore because I'll look really stupid. Uh, Ape styles has noticed uh, that everybody has kind of taken this approach a lot more seriously a lot of people now are fine with raising from short stacks and flatting from the big blind. And he's found some strategies that just smash them apart. And uh, I'm really proud to get into that and work with that. And it's really like, it's a rush if you get into this man. Like if you just don't like a, a, re, a real reason I'm all about like keeping your mind clear. And like, you know, we talked about it at the beginning, like you can't really be a drinker if you're going to wake up early and get to work. And like, I really just get a high off of waking up early and getting to work because like, it's such a rush to know these thousands of people are thinking this way and I'm one step ahead of it. You know what I mean? Even if it's just in very small cash games, because even with the smallest cash games, if you have a rake back, you can make like a living for yourself. You can travel around the world. If you make like a, uh, like if you're if you play 50 and L with regback, you could most people could make two thousand dollars with their eyes closed, and like two thousand dollars is a really good salary in a lot of like really first world countries like Costa Rica or Thailand or something like that. And uh, then you could and then it's not much of a stretch uh, to get to like three thousand or something like that. But all it takes is you got to wake up, you got to get your coffee, you got to get your tea, you got to get your caffeinated beverage of choice, you got to be into it. You got to make sure you're exercising so your mind's right, your body's right. And you got to go in there and you got to like get in there and be with the problems. You have to expand with the problems. The problems need to be invigorating to you. They need to be, it, it needs to be a rush to you because every time you get to a spot that's really difficult when you're playing and you have no idea what the answer is, you have to remember that 99% of regs, okay, 98% of players do not make money at poker. So already excuse that 98%. That last 2% that make money out of poker, that 99%, most people get to those spots and they just go, oh, well, many of them don't even have the impulse. They don't even go, this makes me uncomfortable because I don't know something. They use their arrogance or their ego to get over it. And then those who do have a problem with it just try to assuage the dissatisfaction with, uh, you know, drugs or uh, ego or whatever. They just try to look past it or they try to ignore it or they go like, this is my strategy. This has always been my strategy. It's always made my money and this is going to serve me until the end of time. If you're actually going in there and you're using all the programs I suggested, you're in the top 0.1 percentile of the world and it can be done. I've known many people who were far less intelligent than many other poker players and they far less talented and they're doing way better. They're doing, they own multiple houses 
They're grinding it out because they have a work ethic. It's about work ethic. And uh, yeah, I guess this is about all the time we have today. But to get further into that, check out my latest Bluff article. Uh, just go to bluff.com and uh, go to magazine and look at the most recent uh, – go to the most recent magazine, the one with Mark Newhouse on the cover. And uh, I wrote something about grit, and it's like – it's something really near and dear to my heart because I think uh, – I, I know a lot of very talented poker players, and I'm – I just don't have a lot of their, like, gut instincts. But, like, I've watched – you know, you can't, like, study hard and get Michael Jordan's vertical leap – but you can get really close to these guys just by putting the work in. And that really is a rush. And I hope you guys get to feel that too. So the answer to your question, Spock Poker, is adopt or die. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the great way, the great way to put it. You know, you get a, get a rush off the grind. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, that's uh, wrapping up the end of this uh, show. And uh, we appreciate we've, we had the announcement at the start about America's card room, our team up with them. And uh, more to come on that on the following shows. Um, keep your questions coming in. Keep your hands coming in. Any requests for anything you'd like us to discuss on the show at all, uh, just email questions at oneouter.com uh, or tweet at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T D-O-T <laughs> <laughs> And that is a brain. That is... Sorry. I just, I just. Woo! That was good for our first episode, Barry. Thank you. With a C R. At oneouter dot com. That's at o n e o u t e r d o t c o m. There you go. No, I got, I got lost too. That was really weird. It was like. Yeah, I just stopped. I was just staring at the screen, going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I'm here right now. I got us on Twitter, Facebook, search one outer. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash one outer, and uh, you'll, you'll find us. Just Google it. Google us. Google us. That's what you should say. Uh, Alex, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, try and communicate it clearly. Yeah, no, I will. I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, write me at assassinautocoaching at gmail.com if you want to get all my articles for free. Just say I want to join the mailing list, and you'll get everything for free. We'll send it out to you. We just got a spiffy new mailing order thing. I mean, not mail order thing, but uh, something that allows us to send you guys really pretty emails with uh, the free articles and everything. Uh, it, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash assassinato. You got me tripping up now, Barry. Uh, Twitter at the assassinato. And uh, you can read my articles for free at bluff.com, wptmag.com, pocketfives.com. And, uh, oh, there's one more, pokernews.com. And uh, check out my training videos at cardrunners.com. Uh, Cardrunners uh, has this deal now. It used to be $160 for the first two months, and then you paid a $30 after that. I said, you know, hey, guys, is there any way we could work on something? You know, a lot of my guys, like, you know, they live in, like, Romania or something where, like, $50 is a lot to them, and they, like, grind out 25 NL for a living. I don't want them to spend like four buy-ins and these guys were so cool. They came back with how about $30 for the first two months, $15 a month. It's $30 a month. After that, you can sign up, use all capitals free month as your sign up code. If you have an expired account at card runners, write support at cardrunners.com with all capitals free month in the subject line, uh, sign up with our link at America's card room. If you want to play with me, 
27% rake back. And uh, check out my blog at PokerHeadRush.com where we put a lot more of the fun stuff. We're about to have the complete uh, – we're going to completely redo the site here soon. Uh, we're going to have, like, articles from a, a bunch of different writers, and there's going to be strategy articles every week. So look out for that. I really love the website designer I'm, lo- I'm working with. That should be up in the next few weeks. And, uh, yeah, uh, if you want to talk to me about private lessons, write me at assassinautocoaching.gmail.com. I think that's just about everything. I think we covered all the bases. It was pretty fun. Yeah, that's it. It's been a day of deliveries. Yes, uh, it has. <laughs> Alex had deliveries, people knocking at his door. I had people knocking at my door. Um, this is the show. This is the this is the format. It's me throwing loads of questions at Alex, and we're trying to keep the podcast going. And the good news is uh, everyone that did want it more, you're getting it more. It's now a weekly show. Um, for the foreseeable future so we look forward to doing that lots more on the next show and we will see you then cheers cheers